0: Hello and welcome to the Latin American Independence Group Project podcast. Episode two. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the two most influential figures of the revolution, Bolivar and Santander, Simon Bolivar and Francisco de Paola Santander. We'll be giving brief outlines of who they were, their lives, and their ideas. And then we're going to move on to a discussion over how revolutionary we are believe their ideas were, how revolutionary or progressive their outlooks were. So I'm going to hand over to Alex for a, an introduction to Bolivar.
1: Hi, so I'm going to introduce the foundations of the political thought of the revolutionary of Simon Bolivar. There are four key texts that will help us understand Bolivar's philosophy and ideas. The first is his Cartagena Manifesto in 1812. The second, the Jamaica Letter, written in 1815. The third was Bolivar's address to the Congress of Angostura. And the fourth was his Constitution of 1826. But first, let's look into the Cartagena Manifesto, because this is really the first pen to paper of his ideas. So it was written in the kind of disastrous aftermath of the Colombian Revolutionary War of Independence against Spain. And outlines the key foundational tenets of his thought. So, the first conviction he had was unity. He believed the only way for the revolution forces in Latin America to defeat the colonial forces was to unify under a centralist government which could employ force to liberate people from colonial oppression. He also believed that federalism was unsuited to Latin America because under Spanish rule there was no intercolonial cooperation between the colonies, which bred distrust and provincialism between the various towns and cities. This is actually emphasised by what he says. He's quoted as saying it's better to adopt the Quran than the kind of US form of federal government, which shows you his strong feelings around federalism there. And then another conviction that he had is he believed that the colonial bureaucratic system had deprived the Creole elite, so those of Spanish descent that were born in Latin America, of the experience of government. He argued that they didn't have this kind of civic virtue, the personal qualities for effective functioning of government. And fourthly, again, building on the ideas of federalism, he strongly supported the idea of a central executive as a key to securing independence for Latin America. So then his ideas are further developed in his Jamaica letter of 1815 and the Congress of Angostura. So in 1815, Bolivar, he's been exiled. He's penniless. Spain dominates most of the Latin American continent, and I'd say he's at his lowest point in 1815. And so he introduces these ideas for government institutions. So he suggests a the, uh, the president elected for life, a hereditary Senate and a political apprenticeship for citizens. Again, we see his underlying principles at play here, his desire for unity emphasised by a strong central government. The belief that citizens could not rule themselves, that they had been deprived of the opportunity to do so. Thus, they needed a Senate that was skilled and trained in the art of governance to represent them. In the same vein, he supported the idea of a kind of political apprenticeship for the citizens of his new republic to gain the skills needed to essentially self govern And so these ideas were all kind of in development. They were still very fluid, but by 1826, they were crystallized in an unadulterated form in the Bolivarian constitution. He believed that this constitution was the answer to Latin America's problems, incorporating all of the elements proposed in the Jamaica letter and the address. It allowed for a firm, stable government without exacting a price for liberty or equality. To Bolivar, it offered the advantages of federalism, firmness of centralised government, or guaranteeing the rights and privileges of citizens. I hope that just gives you some idea of what Bolivar believed. Thank you, Alex.
2: Now I'll I'll provide a brief sketch of Santander and his politics. He was born in 1792 in present-day Colombia, the Criollo parents. His parents were of pure Spanish descent. He played a central role in Gran Colombia's liberation, at the Battle of Boyaca which led to the liberation of New Granada. He commanded New Granadan Patriots. In October 1821 he was elected Vice President of Gran Colombia by the Congress of Cucuta and from October 1821 until January 1827 with Bolivar liberating other parts of Latin America Santander was acting President of, of the fledgling state. Later in September 1828 a group of New Granadan liberals attempted to assassinate Bolivar. Santander was approached by the conspirators, but he expressed disapproval for the plot. But Bolivarians alleged him to have orchestrated it, and and he was exiled. In 1832, after Bolivar's death and Gran Colombia's disintegration, Santander returned from exile, And from 1832 to 1837, he served as president of the Republic of New Granada. Encompassing present-day Colombia and Panama, this state was one of the three forged out of the rubble of Gran Colombia. Now, Santander's revolutionary zeal can be seen in his education reforms. In 1826, he greatly expanded education in Gran Colombia. He pushed bills through Congress, which ordered the construction of a primary school in every parish and a university in every department. Also, he placed texts challenging the teachings of the Catholic Church in curriculums. From November 1825, all law students were made to read Jeremy Bentham's utilitarian text, An Introduction to the Principles of Morals and Legislation. Santander's economic policy was fairly revolutionary too. He retained the government's monopoly on the production of tobacco, but he changed the government's main revenue stream. Spanish colonial governments had relied heavily on the Alcabaya, an indirect sales tax, Santander played a major role in replacing this with the contribution directa, a direct tax on income. Telling of his politics, Bolivar undid this, ordering the reintroduction of the Alcabaya. It should be noted, however, that Santander's stance on slavery really wasn't that revolutionary. In February 1820, Bolivar recruited 5,000 slaves to Patriot armies, promising them full personal liberty after two years of service. Fearing this recruitment would hurt Gran Colombia's mining industry, Santander opposed it. Admittedly, he did back a back bill passed by the Congress of Cucuta that gave personal liberty to all children born in Gran Colombia in 1821. But during his acting presidency, he proposed no legislation to hasten the abolition of slavery. Differently, Santander's stance on the church was rather revolutionary. In August 1821, the Holy Inquisition, the Catholic Church's heresy tribunal, was abolished by the Congress of Cúcuta, and Santander strongly supported this abolition. Then, in 1824, without a concordat, Santander pushed a bill through Congress allowing his government to make ecclesiastical appointments. And Santander allowed foreigners freedom of worship in private. When Bolivar returned, it is again telling of his politics that he repeals some of Santander's anti-clerical reforms. All right, I'll hand back to Louis now.
0: OK, so to bring it back to the issue of slavery, I know, Wilf, you mentioned that Santander blocked emancipation to an extent and that Bolivar perhaps was the one trying to, trying to push for it more. But if you look at the letters correspondence between the two, personal correspondence for back from, you know, when they were still on good terms, of course, because I think they were cut off from each other after a certain point. But while they were still talking, Bolivar actually mentioned that the emancipation of the slaves wasn't uh, sort of out of a simplistic moral principle. It was actually down to necessity because of the war. He said, to quote him, To gain a few faithful followers, we had to emancipate the slaves. So to gain more men for the army and to gain support, that was why they did that, as opposed to because it was right. And there were other issues such as, I'll quote him again, to recruit the two armies of last year and this, we had to resort to the terror of martial law and to obtain the 170,000 pesos, which are now coming to Guyana, We have asked and taken whatever public or private funds were within our reach. So those are just examples of other measures that he believed he had to take, but did it reluctantly, like the emancipation of the slaves. It was more in the context of war. So the argument you might put forth would be, other than he, he obviously had the sole aim, you could say, of independence. But other than that, In what way was he actually revolutionary?
1: So, to pick up on your point, in what way he was revolutionary, I'd say the system of government that he was arguing for was very different from the colonial Spanish structure that was implemented for 300 years. You know, he was striving for liberty and to free people from oppression and set up this new republic. However, having said that, I do think he does borrow from the Spanish in the sense that he has this authoritarian streak and recognises that unity and order were a prerequisite for liberty. And you couldn't have, you couldn't set up this new nation without order, without a guardianship of a moral elite. And so to kind of nuance your point, I'd say his ideas that he was striving for were revolutionary. But his methods were conservative, so in a sense he was kind of he was a conservative revolutionary, if you'll allow that oxymoron. Wolf, I don't I don't know if you wanted to.
2: Yeah, exactly. I I think Alex's argument is is convincing, but I I'd, I'd stress that that Santander was probably the more revolutionary of the two, and I'd point to the 1826 revolt in Venezuela. So in 1826, Venezuelan separatists led by José Antonio Paez, revolted against Santander's government. And uh, apart from wanting Venezuela's succession, Paez and other rebels also sought to undo many many of Santander's liberal reforms. In January 1827, Bolivar comes back from Peru to try and quash this rebellion. And I think the difference between the two politicians' approaches to the rebels is telling. So Santander wants to punish the Venezuelan rebels, but Bolivar instead grants them amnesty and in an attempt to placate them, he he promises a a new constitutional convention where he proposes that the conservative constitution that that you've talked about earlier, Alex. Okay. Uh, Louis, I think you were going to talk about the emergence of political parties at that constitutional convention.
0: Yeah. So the, um, Emerging from the 1826 incident, you've got these uh, these two main political parties, which are actually still in existence in Venezuela today. And the prevailing view is that, and you can see where it comes from, is that one of the parties, the Liberals, evolved from the followers of Santander and the Conservatives evolved from the followers of Bolivar. Obviously, scholars would say it's it's a lot, you know, that's a a simplistic view to take, like David Bushnell, for example, would would argue that. But there definitely is that identification for sure. And this links nicely with our next episode, episode three, where Ella and Chris are going to explore the legacy of Bolivar, mainly Bolivar, in more modern Colombian and Venezuelan history that's it for us that's we're, we're going to wrap up there we've been louis wolf and alex and thanks for listening